Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. You guys ready for a podcast? No. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, guys, we we have some late-breaking news. Just as we were about to go on and record, it was revealed that James Gunn is, in fact, in talks to write and possibly direct a new Suicide Squad movie, which might be a sequel, might be a reboot. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so this is sort of surprising news. Uh, James Gunn was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3, or Volume 3, not too long ago. We've talked extensively about that, so you can go back and listen to those previous episodes if you want more details about why. We've talked that whole thing to death. But uh, now news has come out that says that James Gunn might actually write and potentially direct Suicide Squad 2. So he'll be making the jump from Marvel to DC. Uh, This is, uh, yeah, sort of a surprising thing. It's, It's interesting because Suicide squad was sort of looked at as sort of like the uh the guardians of the galaxy you know like a b-team kind of uh vibe for the dc cinematic universe so then they're just going directly to the guy who made guardians of the galaxy from marvel uh and we had heard stories previously that that gun had actually been approached by warner brothers um for uh for you know different different types of you know like i guess in the in the fallout of the disney scandal um all these other studios were coming to him and and saying hey do you want to direct projects for us and warner brothers was one of them and we were speculating like oh i wonder if he might be actually having conversations with somebody at dc and it seems like that's actually the case now uh i guess since the story was published now uh, a reporter from the hollywood reporter says that he's being told that uh, james gunn's suicide squad will not be a sequel he will have a whole new take on it but whether that means it's a total recasting or not is unclear so it seems like there's still a lot sort of out there right now that we're not entirely sure about like i can't imagine them making a new suicide squad movie and and getting rid of uh you know margot robbie as harley quinn for example or even will smith as deadshot because that was part of the big draw for that movie because like i said the the characters are not exactly well known so having an a-list cast was 
a big part of the reason that Suicide Squad performed so well at the box office. So, uh, I mean, Peter, Brad, what do you guys think about this? Well, um, you know, when we finally got word that it didn't seem like James Gunn was going to go back uh, to Marvel, um, that Disney had made their decision uh, final, um, I, I think I even said on this podcast that, like, what if... Warner Brothers hired him to fix the DC universe and he was, you know, made kind of like the Kevin Feige of DC. Uh, you know, I wasn't right in that respect. I, I I don't think even I saw that he would be hired for a Suicide Squad movie. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to put my opinion on Suicide Squad aside from the film that we got. Uh, I do remember. I, I, I think if you guys can, like, you know, take... Uh, a time machine in your brain back to before we actually saw the movie. Uh, people were actually excited. That trailer at Comic-Con killed. Um, like, Suicide Squad wasn't uh, necessarily a bad idea. It was just, a you know, a bad film. <laughs> the, the, the film that resulted was was pretty bad. Um, I... <sighs> I do think that there could be a good Suicide Squad movie. I am a little disappointed that Gunn maybe is being hired to kind of be the, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but maybe like his more edgy, like what he was before he kind of got into like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Brad, what are your thoughts? This is just really frustrating for me because... I feel like this is just going to be like a consolation prize for anybody who loves Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's going to be him bringing those same kind of sensibilities to Suicide Squad when it's really just, I just want to see him finish Guardians of the Galaxy because that's what he started and I want him to finish it. Uh, I I don't care about Suicide Squad. Um, If if he's doing a, a whole new take on it, then maybe it could be interesting and he could start to, I don't know, turn over a new leaf for DC, but I'm just I'm just still so frustrated and I have such a bad taste in my mouth with him being fired from Marvel that it's hard for me to give a shit. Mm. I I do I do wonder if they're going to completely reboot this series. I do know that, the, you know, they were they've been working on a Suicide Squad 2 for quite a, quite some time. I had heard that it was going to be like a really grounded R-rated movie set in the Middle East. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the sense of being a PG-13 movie that's like, you know, uh, some kind of thing that it takes us to uh, space in the DC universe. Like, <laughs> um, But maybe that's just the cynical side of me. Ben, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I'm surprised because we've already th- – this project has gone through a bunch of hands already. I mean, uh, we most recently and early this year thought that Gavin O'Connor was hired to direct and, and I think also write this movie. And and just to be clear, we know that Gunn is supposed to be writing this film and just potentially directing. So he might not end up stepping behind the camera for this. But uh, even if he just writes a script, I mean, that's got to be a huge win for DC, who is, I mean, I guess to put it lightly, sort of struggling in terms of quality, in terms of their output lately. So, um, I mean, James Gunn is a guy who definitely has a, a unique voice. And I, I see what you're saying, Peter, when you're talking about, like, I wonder if this is sort of a step back into that old James Gunn um, in terms of like the griminess and the, the, I guess the dirtiness that comes with the Suicide Squad team, because that's like a, that's a a superhero or anti-hero team that, um, that you could easily, I mean, David Ayer directed the first film for God's sake. So it's definitely something that, that plays well in that uh, dark and grimy 
sort of dirty corner of the DCEU. Um, it'll be interesting to see what sort of clashing tone that a James Gunn script might um, might bring, uh, especially if you watch those two movies back to back. And, you know, he hasn't even signed on for this as far as we know. Do you think there'll be outrage from the right? Do you think like uh, do you think James Gunn has been officially uncanceled? I mean, that, that's I don't know. I feel like I'm walking through a minefield even talking about this, but it, it, it seems yeah. like to me that there is a large correlation of the same people who were uh, very, let's say, happy to see James Gunn booted from Guardians 3, who also really, really love the DCEU. So uh, I would not be surprised uh, if hypocrisy rules the day and uh, nobody makes a peep about this. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about the box office for this weekend because we have been talking a lot about uh, uh, Star is Born and Venom. You know, we were kind of skeptical of did does anybody actually want – were there anybody – was there anybody out there that was actually excited to see this film? Turns out there were a lot of people. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, both uh, A Star is Born and Venom exceeded the – projections and expectations of the box office in their opening weekend uh as it came as no surprise that venom topped the box office um it was a bit of a surprise that it ended up breaking in around 80 million for the weekend um and then a star is born was close not not necessarily close behind but in second place with 42.6 million um both or above the projections that came out in the week preceding their release um venom had a much bigger international Opening, it uh, added another 125.2 million from the 58 markets that it opened in. Uh, meanwhile, A Star Is Born obviously has a little bit less international appeal because it's not this big superhero uh, comic book, you know, intellectual property. Um, but they uh, landed somewhere in the mid 30 million uh, um, for the domestic box office, and then 14 million from 31 international markets. So when it comes to the Venom box office. It shows, obviously, that people were interested in seeing what was going on with this character, um, largely because it's such an iconic character from the Spider-Man universe. But I find myself wondering whether this is indicative of people wanting Venom and wanting more Venom for the future, or just a matter of a large fan base of comic book fans uh, and blockbuster moviegoers being more curious to see how this movie turned out. Um, the, yeah, the cinema store... Do, do you guys think that the reviews for Venom helped the box office? Like, I even like the kind of "it's so bad it's good" reaction. Potentially, but at the same time, the the cinema score for this movie was B plus, which, in terms of how cinema scores go, isn't necessarily the greatest because that's that's basically on par with Amazing Spider-Man two and Spider-Man three. Uh, which has its fair share of detractors, both in critics and fans. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, the the most loved movie as far as, you know, comic book uh, films are concerned, but it definitely wasn't something that was disappointing tons of people either. It seemed like people mostly got what they expected um, from from that movie. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how the sequel fares and what fans think uh, of that when it when it likely comes out. 
feel like there's a pretty small percentage of people out there, Peter, who look at the reviews, see that it says this movie is so yeah. bad it's good, and decide, you know what, I'm going to give that a shot because that sounds like it's up my alley. I feel like that's like a lot of our type of people, quote unquote, but not necessarily, you know, like hardcore film fans and people who just love going to the movies all the time, but probably not average audiences. Yeah, yeah I think that the the second weekend numbers will probably give us a better idea of whether or not this is something that has legs or if it's just extremely front loaded and drops you know really quickly okay uh the cynical side of me says on the other side of the coin do you think there are a lot of people that are not you know our audiences people that like are following and are connected to you know all the goings on in the movie industry that didn't know that this is not, uh, you know, a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. That it's, you know, they just came off of, you know, Spider-Man: Homecoming and Spider-Man and Infinity War. Like, do, do you think that may have tricked some uh, uh, general audiences into going into a movie that they didn't know was not part of the MCU? Hmm. That's a tough one because I feel like we're so we're in this like uh, onslaught of superhero movies and and uh, like you're saying sort of general audiences may not uh, know the finer points of who is in what universe and stuff. So I would not be surprised if like um, I feel like my parents might be a little bit more savvy than this, but maybe they you know, I, I wouldn't be super surprised if like my mom walked into Logan and was like, why didn't Batman show up in that movie or something? You know what I mean? Like there, there are a lot of superheroes out right now. And uh, and I would not be surprised if most audiences are not in, in, in tune with who it belongs to what yeah. universe. I, I did get a message from one of my relatives asking me to explain if Venom is part of the Avengers. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, a new study who, uh, that shows that kids want more female superheroes and sci-fi uh, role models. Uh, ben, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so BBC America and the Women's Media Center uh, jointly published a new study on the impact of representation in sci-fi and superhero storytelling. And this is particularly how it pertains to young audiences. And so they surveyed about 2,500 uh, girls and boys ages uh, ages 10 to 19 and basically uh, came to the uh, conclusion that every demographic group surveyed expressed a desire for more female heroes in the sci-fi and superhero genre with girls, especially girls of color and also boys of color most likely to want more sci-fi superheroes who look more like them so um this is basically just uh sort of reinforcing ideas that we have known have been you know floating around for a long time namely just that representation matters and like especially for young kids having role models that look like them on the big screen um is actually like directly linked to the way that they think about themselves and and their aspirations and um life choices and stuff like this this stuff actually uh you know ha- has a, a tangible impact on people's lives it's not just um something that you can easily write off so uh this this new study uh, which you can read more about in the article at slash film um yeah, just sort of, a, like I said, reinforces um, an idea that uh, that Hollywood has slowly been catching on to recently. Yeah, and I, I think even more interesting to me is, like, in the study, uh, the whole confidence in, in young uh, girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, uh, I don't know, it's it just, um, to me, because, and maybe it's because we are in... You know, t- we are adjacently in in the uh, the movie industry, 
uh, you know, we were outside the system, but uh, we were there. It, it, it's uh, interesting to me that movies can have such an impact on, uh, you know, us as a whole, as as humans. Um, yeah, and just to to follow up on what you're saying about the confidence thing, uh, the the noteworthy finding from the results of the study was that teen girls are significantly less likely than teen boys to describe themselves as confident, brave, and heard. So the idea that um, that they need more female uh, characters in their sci-fi and superhero storytelling to sort of inspire them and and give them um, you know a, vo- a voice to look up to and and a um, a, a, ca- a persona to emulate is uh, is very important. Yes. Um, and it's a good story to follow this up with. Uh, you know, we've talked about in the past the possibility of a female James Bond. Uh, according to the f- producers of the James Bond franchise, that will never happen. Brad, what do we know? Yes, producer Barbara Broccoli or Broccoli, however you pronounce her her name. Um, it looks like Broccoli, so that's I'm, I'm, how I'm going to say it. Um, she's been a longtime producer of the James Bond franchise, uh, and recently she was talking to the Guardian about you know the potential directions the franchise might take once Daniel Craig is finished, and discussion inevitably turned to the possibility of having a woman take over the mantle of James Bond. And uh, without hesitation, she simply said, Bond is male. He's a male character. He was written as a male. And I think he'll probably stay as a male. Um, So and that's, you know, not really a surprising stance to take. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, James Bond is an iconic character. It's um, it's been established that it's not a moniker that a different person takes on each time. Uh, You know, when an actor takes on the, the character of James Bond, they're playing a different version of that character, but it is still a character that was created with the idea of this being a male secret agent. Um, And it's, you know, it's, it's hard to disagree with her, especially when she says, uh, follows it up with, let's just create more female characters and make the story fit those female characters. And I think that that's exactly the attitude we need to have about something like this. You don't, you shouldn't have to you know, take a, you know, uh, a popular male character and change it to a woman to try and, uh, you know, appease female audiences like that. Like you need to make, you know, female characters that work on their own, stand on their own and turn those into iconic characters. I I feel like it would be doing a disservice to, you know, uh, female audiences, people looking for that strong female character to to take just a, a male character and turn that character into a woman. Um, there are so many things about James Bond that are inherently male anyway, you know, and so it's just it's one of those things where it's much better to, you know, just continue the adventures of, you know, Charlize Theron in Atomic Blonde um, and, you know, mo- movies like that. Like, that's what we need more of instead of just, you know, gender swapping some of the more popular characters, I think. Yeah, but it, it would be cool to see maybe them introduce a, uh, you know, quote unquote, strong female character uh, in the Bond franchise who could like you know, actually hold the spinoff. Like, you look at the Mission Impossible franchise, and I would love to see a film uh, following Rebecca Ferguson's character. Um, and I don't uh, really think there's any characters in... I mean, they, the... I, think in, I think in Skyfall, they definitely gave uh, Moneypenny a, um, a solid role where she was in the field with Bond, but then decided Yeah, but to would take... you want to see a film, like a standalone film with her? I would love to follow Naomi Harris as an agent in the field as as Money Penny, but at the same time, I don't feel like I don't know. We need I don't think we need to be riding those coattails. I think that it's that new characters need to be created instead. Yeah. 
you definitely make a good point there. Casting on Ryan Johnson's next film is heating up, and uh, we've been reporting on it over the last week. Uh, we haven't gotten to much of it on uh, this podcast, so I thought we'd do a roundup of all the casting and what we know of Ryan Johnson's next film. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, Ryan Johnson's new movie is called Knives Out, and it is a murder mystery sort of in the vein of old classic Agatha Christie novels and and stories. And Ryan Johnson has been working on this. uh, He's been sort of uh, kicking around the idea for how he would do his version of a a classic whodunit murder mystery for about 10 years now. And he finally cracked it. And I think this past summer or maybe maybe it was last summer, actually, he uh, wrote the script. And this project has really sort of come out of nowhere. And uh, when we first talked about it, we knew that Daniel Craig was on board to star. Uh, and recently we've learned that a, a bunch of new names have come on board as well. And the cast of this is really exciting. I'm, I'm super stoked for this film. So we know that Chris Evans is playing uh, one of the roles. We're not sure who he's going to be playing because, as you can expect with a, a movie like this, uh, especially something like a murder mystery, we're not entirely certain you know, what the characters are. Uh, we know that Lakeith Stanfield from Sorry to Bother You is going to be involved as well. And the only bit of information that we know in terms of like who the characters, are, you know, like what, what types of characters these people are playing is we know that Daniel Craig and Lakeith Stan- uh, Stanfield are going to be playing detectives in the movie. So that's pretty awesome. And then the uh, most recent addition is that Michael Shannon is on board as well. So I think a report has gone around saying that there's probably like four to five other key roles that are left, you know, that remain to be filled for this film. Uh, I am kind of hoping that some of them are film are, are filled with female characters because it's sort of a dude fest <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in the vein of movies like uh, Murder on the Orient Express and, and, um, and then there were none and things like that. The, these casts are often like sprawling, diverse casts of uh, a bunch of different types of people gathered in one location to, um, you know, like basically trapped in one location uh, in order to make the mystery more compelling. You know, who who is it? Why? What are their motivations? That kind of thing. So I'm I'm so excited for this movie. It's definitely one of my most anticipated films of 2019 so far. It would have been even if it was just a new Ryan Johnson movie and let alone a murder mystery, which is a genre that I love. And then with people like Chris Evans and uh, Daniel Craig and Michael Shannon and Lakeith Stanfield, I mean, that is a killer cast right there. Yeah, the casting on this film is is insane, and I'm so excited for it. Um, but let's move on to another story, and that is that Voodoo is another one of those companies working on an original streaming service, but they are teaming with MGM to create original shows. Uh, Brad, what do we know? So for those of you that don't know, Voodoo is Walmart's streaming video service. Um, you might You've probably encountered it because it's one of those services where you can have your library of... Um, digital copies of movies that you own, uh, whether they came with Blu-ray or if you bought them from Vudu through Walmart or something like that. But um, a lot of people seem to not know that they also have this um, ad-supported streaming service called Movies on Us, which is basically like a version of Netflix, but that has uh, commercials interspersed between movies and tv shows you're making Uh, that up brad i've never heard of that in my life (laughs) i I, I use voodoo and i've never even heard of that (laughs) the only reason that i was vaguely familiar with it is because it's it if you haven't used voodoo in like a certain period of time when you go back into the app like that's the first thing that comes up and it says like new movies on us and like you know it's it's free and the library constantly 
changes. Like right now, they they have uh, like over three thousand movies that you can watch with commercials, obviously, and they also have uh, two hundred and sixty two full seasons of TV shows. So they have a lot of content there, but it's just not necessarily as appealing because it all has commercials. It's like watching you know stuff on Hulu without when you um, except you're not paying for, you know to have the ads go away. Um, so that's what Voodoo is. Um, mostly known for for the digital copies, but now they're trying to amp up this Movies movies on Us feature because they're teaming up with MGM to develop uh, original shows based on MGM's intellectual property. The only problem that I see with this is that a lot of the franchises that MGM owns and produces are things that are either already have active TV shows or franchises or things that don't necessarily seem ripe for original content. So like MGM has... Um, you don't think there's going to be a Rain Man movie? <laughs> there already is a Rain Man movie. It's perfect. It won Best Picture. Don't touch Rain Man. Um, but no, they have they have James Bond. They have uh, Rocky. They have RoboCop. They have the Pink Panther. They have The Hobbit. They have uh, Twenty One Jump Street. And then on the TV side of things, they have Fargo. They have The Handmaid's Tale. They have Get Shorty, Teen Wolf, um, Vikings, Stargate, SG One. So. Like, all those that I've rattled off, like, a lot of them already have projects in the works, or they've already spun off into new things, or they they were rebooted fairly recently, or they're still on. So I just don't know what the draw is here, and, like, exactly what kind of content they're going to create it based on MGM's, you know, uh, franchises. I mean, I could see, like, maybe a War Games TV series. Like, not a good one. I think they've already done that, right? Like we we talked about. Uh, oh, did they do a one TV the... series? I know they've yeah, done like it... they did that that interactive series. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The interactive series that is that forget obviously made a real big impression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I wonder because even some of the franchises you mentioned, like The Hobbit, I don't think they own the rights to that franchise, um, even though they made you know movies. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious because looking at the list of titles on the MGM roster, I don't know, like maybe Legally Blonde the series, or they could go all the way back to the beginning and and make uh, like an updated version on the Thin Man because um, that came out in, like the 1930s, and I mean that franchise turned into a huge thing for MGM way back in the day, but obviously people haven't, uh, <laughs> there hasn't been a, a recent take on that. So maybe they could do something like that, that they probably own outright, you know, from, from way back when maybe, maybe a new 21 jump street, but like, I feel like if they did do that, it would have to be completely different from what Phil Lord and Chris Miller created. Cause I can't imagine a TV series sustaining itself with that kind of vibe. Um, I just, I, I don't know. Is it is it uh, heresy to to talk about uh, like a Wizard of Oz TV show? I mean, uh, yes, because <laughs> you know in this well, I mean, day they already we're, have we're... like a isn't there a Wizard of Oz animated series at Warner Brothers? I only know that because when I drive by the Warner Brothers studio lot, there's a mural on one of the sides of the sound stages. Uh, but there have been, I mean, I guess. But you're saying like a live action TV series based on that classic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, you know, IP rules the day right now, especially for streaming services. And, you know, you've got Amazon going all out with Lord of the Rings. You've got, you know, everybody's trying to fill the gap of game of Thrones as soon as that leaves. And going back to, 
I mean, it would definitely be expensive, but uh, it would certainly turn some heads. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying that I would like, you know, be excited about it or, or anything, but I, I just, I would not be surprised if something like that happened. What about the return of the Pink Panther? Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody from this generation even know about the Pink Panther other than like, I mean, that animated character? Yeah, I, I feel like everyone feel... loved the Steve Martin versions. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot about those. I feel like I'm I just turned 33 and I I feel like I'm just on the cusp of people who barely knew what that was, you know, when I was growing up. I, I think anybody younger than me probably has no idea what you're talking about, Peter. I mean, I do like how TV shows are now adapting movies into kind of like season long anthology stories and then going from there. So what about the possibility of like Poltergeist as a TV show? Hmm. Yeah, I could see that like a a family drama where the the supernatural action plays out slowly over the course of the season. <laughs> or uh, how about Barbershop? OK, I, I think we're getting too far here. I don't <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to see what IP they Put into the service, and if we ever even hear of this streaming service ever again, because I, it, Brad, I honestly don't even think that that service that you mentioned exists, because I, I have not heard it. <laughs> there, there already was a, a barbershop TV series, wasn't there? Was it really? I thought so. Am I? Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no. I'm, yeah, I'm it was googling it was, this right now. It was a Showtime show. Really? <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, I don't have Showtime, so I didn't. <laughs> that probably was just not on yeah, my it radar. Only, it looks like it only lasted for a season. Yeah, yeah. So it was a bad idea, is what you're saying. Maybe. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our, our, our final story, and that is that Netflix is launching a production hub in New Mexico, uh, a $1 billion uh, investment, uh, which is kind of a huge stub to California because they said that they were planning on making all their future shows in uh, the, you know, California. So uh, Brad, tell us about it. Yes. uh, New Mexico has become uh, a smaller production hub, if you will, where some movies and TV shows have gone to shoot there. there. There's a whole studio called ABQ Studios, where shows like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul have have been using for years. Movies like Logan and Independence Day Resurgence have shot there. Uh, And now Netflix is in final talks to buy that whole facility that uh, is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Their plan is to turn it into their, their own basically operating movie studio, and they'll be using it to shoot some of their uh programs like daybreak chambers and messiah and the latter two have actually already been produced in new mexico so now they'll just have a more centralized home in albuquerque in order to keep shooting there um and this plan is is huge too because uh new mexico governor Susana martinez apparently said that netflix is bringing one billion dollars in production to new mexico over the next 10 years uh and could give the city as many as a thousand new jobs so um, it's a big thing for Netflix to be buying their own studio to make their own stuff. Um, and it's it does seem a little bit odd that they're going outside of Los Angeles, but uh, Deadline notes that there's kind of a fight for space in Los Angeles right now because I guess a lot of tech companies and startups are taking the space that would normally be reserved for production companies and studios. So there's just not as much space as there used to be to shoot movies and do all the normal production business that uh, Hollywood tends to do in Los Angeles. Yeah, they've been even shooting stuff all the way out in Santa Clarita, which uh, for people that don't know uh, Los Angeles, that's like 
a hike. That's an over an hour out of the city. Um, Brad, you have been to this facility in, in Albuquerque, right? Yeah, and I, I went there uh, twice, actually. I went there for a set visit for The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger and for the Independence Day sequel. And I've been there as well. It, it's actually kind of like um, a lot of the Hollywood studios were built a long time ago. And, yes, they've been renovated. But uh, these new studios that have built, been built uh, relatively recently in the last decade, like the one in Albuquerque, there's one in Atlanta, uh, they are like state-of-the-art and everything's new, and uh, it's actually kind of like, you know, I guess you'd call it like the Apple store of movie studios, uh, if, if you can call it that, because essentially it's just big, grand warehouses. Um, but uh, So it makes sense that a, a that Netflix would want to, you know, uh, find a studio that has all those, like, amenities and all those, like, uh, technological options. My worry here is... And as someone who watches Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, um, Albuquerque has uh, a very specific look to it, and it's very hard to capture other parts of the of the the world outside of you know desert and what Albuquerque looks like. And it's good for like a show like Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul that take place in Albuquerque. And of course you can build anything inside of a soundstage, but uh, you know, you can't shoot everything inside of a soundstage. You got to shoot some things in practical locations. So my worry is that all Netflix shows will eventually look like they were just shot in, you know, some desert in Albuquerque. I feel like this is one of many for Netflix. I I can't believe that this is going to be the only place that they buy. I think, um, I don't know if they're going to have the ability, even with the money that they have to throw around to uh, buy a, a production facility like this in L.A. Because like Brad was talking about, I mean, there are so many for God's sake, we we're just talking about voodoo making original shows. So, like, you know, somebody has to uh, to rent the space to make all that content. And L.A. is really busy right now. But I, I have to imagine that Netflix is uh, has their sights set on multiple places. So I don't think it's going to be a case of yeah. every Netflix show looking the same. There's one up in Michigan that they could buy. Uh, when I was there for um, Transformers the last night, there uh, there's this whole like state of the art new production facility up there that Michigan. They, they just... used it for Oz the Great and Powerful as well. Yeah, and uh, they they used it, I think they used it for the previous Transformers movie as well. So they used it for some big movies, but and this was like during the time when Michigan was offering these big tax breaks to production companies and studios to shoot movies there, um, and then. All of a sudden, like the the I think the tax breaks went away, and so it wasn't quite as popular anymore. And so they have this huge facility and all this space, and it was not being used um, very much. So I, you know, Netflix should go up to, to, to Michigan and buy that facility. Yeah. Last I heard, some film schools were going out to those facilities and using them uh, for film school because the, no no Hollywood productions were coming out there, which is kind of sad that you know tax breaks can. You know, just change everything. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. As someone who lives in Los Angeles and loves walking on those movie studio lots, and I I just wish uh, there was more movie and television production happening here, and all the tax breaks are taking the production elsewhere, and the state is not uh, you know giving those incentives as much as they should. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. I, I, ben, I think you're right. I mean, Netflix is producing 
uh, way more productions than can fit at one, you know, studio in whole. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it, it's not going to be like everything looks like Albuquerque. But uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Brad, where can people find your work online? Always SlashFilm.com. Also Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com as well. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find this podcast Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, alongside SlashFilm.com. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns at Peter at SlashFilm.com. That's Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.